told him I would have kissed the ground uh, when we got to America, but it was under construction. So, uh, but I'm thankful to be here this morning. We, we were going to have this a little later on. Molly, y'all ready now? Can y'all come now? You and, and Chris and Nathan, I want them just to come. They want to share a word with you. And I don't see why we need to wait to the end of the service. I think it'd be good right here. Maybe better than the preaching. Amen. Well, most of you may know my parents, Scott and Pam Mitchell, but um, we've been members here for a little over three years, and all of you have been praying for this little miracle, miracle right here. Um, this is our son, Nathan, and um, if you don't know a true miracle, I'm holding one right here. Um, Nathan was born five weeks prematurely. Um, when he was born, he got stuck, and it caused some brain damage on his brain. But through the power of prayer and all the constant um, hellos and you know thank yous that I've given, um, I have some amazing news to report. We went to his neurologist this week, and um, he overlooked Nathan's MRIs and the EEGs that he had at Olympia Regional. And the Lord... The Lord has blessed this little boy. He's been on anti-seizure medication his whole life. His short six weeks. But when I come to you and tell you that the power of prayer is amazing and wonderful through the Lord of God above. We are able to wean him off of his anti-seizure medication. <laughs> his neurologist says that he was not acting like a child that had neurological issues. And that is another amazing thing because we didn't know whether or not he was going to be able to develop normally. Um, of course, he's going to have his ups and downs because he does have brain damage, but it's not to an extent to where we would have to have something every day that we would have to worry about. And um, I just want to thank from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for all the prayers because we felt every minute of it when we were up there in that NICU every day I was there. I didn't get to hold him for the first week of his life because he was on a cooling system, but I felt every bit of the prayer sitting there in his room, and he did too. So from the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank the entire church congregation and everyone around. We had people praying everywhere. I heard from Hawaii to New York and Massachusetts. So. We thank everyone that has prayed for our little man.
I hit the wrong button. All right. Ain't God good? Amen. 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 What, a, what a blessing. Thank you so much. Turn, if you would, to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. 11 Hebrews. Uh, as we think this morning about how to save your family. How to save your family. I wasn't actually going to preach on every one of these, and we'll linger, we'll, we'll go a different direction beginning next week. But they're just so good. Enoch was so good, and Abraham, and Abel, and uh, it's just tremendous. And then now Noah, in the seventh verse of chapter 11. There are great days in our lives, and well, this is a great day uh, for a miracle for Nathan, and it's been great as you see your firstborn born there. It was great in high school graduation. I don't know if y'all remember that or not. We set off firecrackers underneath the stands, and it was a wonderful night in Corrigan when we graduated that night, I guarantee you. And then college graduation, then marriage. I mean, I know my wife got the raw end of the deal, but it was still a great, great day for me anyway. Uh, all of those things, but none of those things can compare to the day that Jesus washed my sins away. None of those things can Isaiah 53 says he became the atonement for our sin and uh, literally the propitiation for us. And I'm grateful today. I, grateful for this church. I'm grateful for you young people. want us to pray for our young people. The school has started and, and uh, continues on. Our young people facing a lot of things. A lot of things today. Uh, I, the, the Lord never told us to go into a country and elect somebody. The Lord never told us to go into a country and protest something. The Lord told us to go and share the gospel. That's what our goal is. You want to know what's going to help America? Is when we come out of our closet and begin to share how great Jesus is. There's power in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, he's the one who can change our world. I saw this week on Facebook a statistic that I've seen before. But it'll knock the preacher's ego out. Six percent of you are here because I'm a good preacher. Six percent. That'll knock you down, I guarantee you. That'll, that'll wake you up at night worrying about those things. Eighty-six percent of you are here because somebody invited you that you knew. Eighty-six percent. And for those who want to throw millions away on advertising, two percent come for advertising. I'm telling you, you're the church. You're the ecclesia. You're the called out body of Christ. And when we get off of our blessed assurance and begin to share the greatest thing that's ever happened to us, Jesus will begin to use us even more so than ever before. Chapter 11, verse 7. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet as seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you how we've been blessed and just brought to the very gates of heaven in this music. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would continue to move in this place. Don't let us up on, don't let up on us. God, continue to have your way in every life that's in this building today. Hide me behind your precious cross. Lord, forgive us sin where sin abounds. And I pray today that your Holy Spirit would touch and move lives 
as you already have this morning in both services. Lord, do it again now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Noah was warned of God. That is a business term, being warned of God. The God of the Bible looked out across this world, and it's an alarming thing. Uh, you got a double-sided problem here. In Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives at which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And then God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. That's one side of it. God saw the wickedness of man that was great in the earth. But the other side of it continues on. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. I mean, when you come to the place where not only are you doing evil and not only is wickedness abounding and darkness is everywhere, but every thought that people have is to pervert something or to do something unimaginable. That's what he's saying. God saw uh, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But, praise the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Seven verses that are completely wicked, evil, and dark. And yet one verse. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, the rest of the world had one philosophy. Noah had a total different philosophy. The rest of the world was going one direction. Noah was going another direction. And I believe with all my heart, God's looking for young people this morning for middle-aged people, for young adults, for older adults, senior adults. He's looking for people that it doesn't matter what the world does, we're going to follow Christ no matter what. I think God's looking for churches. It doesn't matter what other people do, we're going to live a life that's pure before the Lord. I think that God is looking for people who will say whether the world says it's right or the world says it's wrong, it doesn't make any difference. We're going to stand on the Word of God. We know truth and we know error because of this book right here. Doesn't matter what the rest, of the rest of the world is doing. Noah, I want you to build an ark, the Bible says. I want you to note that it was not a cruise ship. Some of the pictures that you see of the ark today make it look like a cruise ship, something out of the Caribbean. It was a, it was a box. That's all it was. It didn't even need a motor or anything. They didn't need to go nowhere. All they had to do was float. That's all it was. When the water come in, they just needed to float. God took care of everything else. 120 years, the Bible says he spent laboring and building that boat. 120 years. I remember many, many days. Uh, and it's one of the greatest attributes that someone can say about me anyway. And, and I know some of you just saying it to be nice. You don't really mean it. But anyway, it's good to hear it. When somebody says, that's the hardest working preacher I've ever seen. That blesses my heart. 
My daddy taught me to work. I watched my daddy 40 years go to the same sawmill every day. 40 years. He would always leave an hour early in case he got a flat. Wasn't five minutes to the sawmill, to the sawmill from our house. But he wanted to be there early. He didn't want to be there late. He was not going to be late. I watched my daddy in days that uh, he'd get off of work and we'd work with him out to past dark. We called it a truck patch. People today call it a farm. We hoed and we, we, we picked tomatoes and peanuts and cut down sugar cane. And I mean, all, all, I, I, I know because I, as a kid, was tired and hurt. And I know my daddy had to be tired and worn out. But he went to work whether he felt like it or not for 40 years. Now, bless God, if you get somebody that works 40 days, he's a hero. <laughs> In fact, I've talked to some businessmen. If they get somebody to come back to work the second day, he's a hero. My daddy did it 40 years. But it can't compare to Noah. Noah did it 120 years every day every week every month every year every decade he was faithful in going to work day after day day after day you know he had to get tired you know there were days when he hit that snooze alarm you say preacher there wasn't no clocks back then are, are you sure I mean, Genesis 3 says that there were a lot of technological advances back then. They may have been a little farther advanced than what you give them credit for. There had to be days when they was just wore it. They tell me that when you get to be five or 600 years old, arthritis sets in. <laughs> I got news for them. <laughs> there had to be days when he said, look, I, I just need to back off. There, there's nobody understanding me. There's nobody doing this. There's no reason for me. But he had a powerful motivation. Hebrews 11 says there was something that Noah got. Though nobody joined him, nobody was with him. Everybody was laughing. Everybody was mocking him. Yet Noah continued on for 120 days. Noah, what are you doing up there? Are you building a boat? You building an ark? And I think Noah would lay his tools down. And he would say, no, I'm not building a boat. If I were to ask you this morning, what did Noah do? Oh, everybody in this place would say, well, he built an ark. But Noah would say, oh, no, I, I'm not building an ark. I'm not building a boat. I'm saving my family. That's what I'm doing. I'm saving my family. Hmm. That's what got him out of bed every day. That's what kept him going. He had his eyes set on the goal. His three sons and three daughter-in-laws and his wife. He, he said, I, I've got to save my family. I don't care what it costs. I've got to save my family. I'm sure that in the midst, they had some 21-year-old journalist show up from a show. He said, a preacher, there aren't no journalism back there are, are you sure I think she probably showed up and and said uh, we're here to interview you mr. Noah we'd like to know what you're doing how what, what's going on here 
And uh, she would say, everybody says you're building a boat, but it's never rained here. Nobody's ever seen it rain from the top, and nobody's ever seen it rain from the bottom. What, what, what do you keep doing? He would say, well, I'm not building a boat. I'm saving my family. Well, uh, we're going to bring in this meteorologist here. Now, if you're a meteorologist, please just forgive me this morning. I think they're some of the dumbest people on the face of the earth. <laughs> My mama didn't teach me a whole lot, but she did teach me to get in out of the rain. She would say, if you get in. when you see that meteorologist out there with the hurricane and the wind blowing in the rain, I think, you stupid thing. We know what rain looks like. Get inside out of the rain. Anybody that don't have sense enough to get in out of the rain, I'm not sure I trust them on anything else. But that meteorologist says, we've gone through the plans and there's nothing here. There's no weather alerts or anything. A radar doesn't, I preach you, you know there wasn't radar. Are you sure? <laughs> there's nothing. And then I imagine they brought in the geologist. Mr. Geologist, what do you think about this? I'm sure he cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I've gotten with the other professionals. And there's no one ever seen this fountain below. We, we, we don't think it's there. Hmm. So they go over to the first council of churches. And they say, Reverend, what do you think about what Noah's doing? And the reverend says, well, you know God is love. And you know God would never destroy anybody. God wouldn't do that. Well, what do you make of all this? He said, well, you know, the truth is the only people who believe this are those old preachers who still try to preach of the Bible. We've, we've graduated beyond that. We know God would never do that. It's just those old hard-headed preachers who are wanting to say the Word of God is truth and inerrant. They're the only ones preaching that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, Noah, what are you doing? I'm saving a family. I want to give you five things, and I know time, I'm going to have to go through them fast. <laughs> I know that. We've got a big party today. Everybody wants to be there. We're going to, going to have a good time. But listen to these five things real quickly, would you please? Noah, what do you do? How, how do you save your family? When the whole world is wicked, and not only the world is wicked, but every imagination that man can think of is perverted and evil. How do you save your family in the midst of all that? I think number one, according to the Word of God, just going to walk right through the Scripture. Number one, by faith, Noah. By faith, Noah. you got to get in the Word of God if you're going to save your family. Every one of these instances start out by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Rahab, by faith, by faith, by faith. That means they've got to be willing to live by faith. Well, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says, with faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, faith is the substance. You see, faith is not an experience. It's something you can hold in your hands. It's a substance. It's not the pie in the sky. We used to 
when I went to school, people would say, what's your religion? Now, we've got educated beyond their means now telling people don't use that word religion. That's a bad word. Uh, because our people now want to say, what's your faith? Our country has faith-based initiatives. But when I was going to school, you'd say, what was your religion? And there were three. Number one, we knew we wasn't Catholic. Number two, we knew we weren't Jewish. And the other one was Protestant. Well, let me tell you, we're not Protestant either. We didn't fight Rome. We've never been ill. That's enough. We're not Protestant. We come out from the woods over here in South uh, 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 Georgia and North Carolina and all out of Shady Creek out there. That's where Baptists come from. All right, we, we're, not, we're not Protestant. We're Baptist. And, and when you say, what's your faith? You're, you're marking faith with the same level of religion. And I want to tell you, religion is what you are in Jesus. Faith is something you have in him. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. And then he goes on to say, the evidence. Now, I've I got to go. I'm going to have to do this fast. I don't know how I'm going to do it fast. If you were to look up hope in the dictionary today, there'd be a picture of the Texas Rangers there. <laughs> we know they ain't going to win, but we hope they do. Amen? Now, if you look up hope in the Word of God, though, hope is secure. Hope is solid. Hope you can count on it. It's not something I'm hoping to do. It's something I know I'm going to do. My eternal life's not based on me hoping I get there. My eternal life is based on the Word of God knowing I'll get there. Well, hope is real. We want to save our family. There's some daddies and mamas that's going to have to change their ways. Instead of getting up and reading the paper every morning, they need to get up and read the Word of God. They need to point their children to the Word of God. Open up the Bible and let God speak. There's one thing that ties every one of these together in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and that is by faith, they heard a word from God and they were obedient to it. Heard a word from God and were obedient to it. Let me ask you something, Papa, Papa, Papa. When your little six, seven-year-old crawls up in your lap, which is a sunshine of your world. And they reach over and they say, Papa, would you tell me how to get to heaven? Can you do that? Huh? I mean, are you going to have to say, well, now that's a, uh, that's a question we need to ask the reverend. That's a question we're going to have to call Christy for. No, every one of us in this room ought to be able to tell somebody how to get saved. And if you don't know how, we'll, we'll, we'll create some classes to show you how. We've got them already. What, what, what are you going to tell them? What if they follow your eternal map? Where are they going to end up? Those little eyes are watching. Dads and moms. Just like little Nathan right here. We've seen babies born in this last month or so, a lot of them. But I want to tell you, when, when you hold that little baby in your hand, you are going to determine if that baby's going to walk with the world or if that baby's going to walk with God. It's you. 
You're going to determine that. You've got to be in the Word of God if you're going to save your family. The second thing is right here in the Scripture, look at it, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear. Being warned and moved with fear. Fear is very specific here. There are a lot of things he could have been uh, scared of. He's never swam before, I'm sure. He don't know what water is. Uh, I mean, he don't know that it's coming down. He don't know it's coming up. Uh, he, he don't know any of that. Uh, I love it that the Word of God says that God did not look at the ark and say, Noah, it's time. Go in the ark. God looked at Noah and said, Noah, it's time. Come on in. God was already there. He was already there. And I'm telling you this morning, he's not telling you to go do something. He's already there doing it with you. All you have to do is join on his side. When a man fears God, he don't have to worry about looking to see who's watching him do a pornographic website or a lady watching a soap opera or a teenager don't have to worry about if mom and dad is there. If a, if a man or a woman or a young person is going to walk with God, the Word of God says that God will bring everything secret to light. Ecclesiastes says, fear God, keep his commandments. And the very next verse says, the reason you do that is because he's going to bring everything secret to light. You don't have to worry about what somebody's watching you doing. God's already watching you do it. And he's going to bring it to light. He's going to bring it to light. Noah, what are you doing? You've been 50 years up there on that ark. What are you doing? Are you building a boat? No, I'm saving my family. The third thing is you've got to be prepared. You must prepare an ark. Look at it. They were moved with fear and then prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You've got to believe the Bible, fear God, and prepare an ark. You realize this ark cost Noah the the best 120 years of his life? Now, psychiatrists will tell you that it's important that you spend quality time with your children. Could I tell you that's hogwash? To a six-year-old, there is no quality time. There is time. And if you're going to save your family, you're going to have to spend some time with them. Maybe you don't get to go hunting as much as you want to. Maybe you don't get to go fishing as much as you want to. Maybe you don't have a boy's night out or a girl's night out as much as you want to. I'm not saying that you can't ever do anything. I'm just saying your priority ought to be on saving your family. It ought to be with your children. Our children are grown, praise God. <laughs> they still cost us money, but they're grown. And we can do things that we couldn't do 20 years ago. Huh? I hear people all the time, we, uh, we just finished youth camp and children's camp and a missions trip uh, here in locally and then Macedonia too and then Haiti too and, 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 and then vacation Bible school. We always go over budget on all of those and, and people will say, well, preacher, why is youth camp so high? I mean, you know, I mean, $350 for a kid to go to camp for a week. That's transportation and food and, and lodging and everything. and It's just so high. I mean, we're only paying $900 to go to the sports camp. Why is the church camp so high? 
Well, why do we have to spend so much money on vacation Bible school? You would think that we're just a church. They just need to come in here and everybody preach and everybody be in here. We don't need no children's church. We don't need no youth activities or anything. Well, I can just tell you, I don't think that Bible school and camps are the only way. But after 52 years in the ministry, I've seen more people saved in Bible school and camps than any other way. Anyway. <laughs> we looked at our budget this summer, and the finance committee says, Woo, that's a lot of money. We didn't budget that much money. Well, that's because we got more kids now than we did at the beginning of the year. Well, that's a problem. Okay, well, let's, well you pick out the ones we say ain't going. It ain't going to be me. You say, what makes camp so special? Well, one thing is a good camp is, has no cell phone reception. You get young people away from the cell phone, away from the games, away from all of the junk at home and everything and going through, and they're with other kids their age, and they're in the Word of God three or four times a day, and they're praying together, they're eating together, they're playing games together, they're fellowshipping together. They come back here ready to charge hell with a water pistol. But don't worry, we'll calm them down. We'll, we'll settle them down. All those things cost money. Noah, what are you doing up there? Are you building a boat? No. No, I'm saving my family. Then next on the list, look at it there. Uh, he prepared an ark for the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world. That word condemned in the Greek is one of the strongest words there is. It's the word damnation. Now let me just give you a little secret. And I don't... I'm going to do everything I can, and I think the ones that follow me are going to do the same thing. If they're not, I'm going to come back and haunt them. I'm going to do everything I can to preach the Word of God. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. We've got a, a group in our world today that says we ought to be seeker-sensitive and that we ought to try to make a service that everybody's happy in. I'm trying to make a service where people are miserable. <laughs> where people come to the point where they cry out, if it's not for Jesus, I don't have a chance. I heard about those three preachers. They had a guy in their church, in, in their community, that was a very wealthy man, but he was really anti-God. He, he didn't like anything. He gave these three preachers, the Catholic priest, the Jewish rabbi, and a Baptist preacher, he said, I know I've been told all my life I can't take nothing with me, but I'm planning on taking this with me. And he gave them a bag each, $25,000 cash in the bag. He said, at my funeral, I want you to walk by and put that $25,000, put that bag in my casket. I'm going to take it with me. Well, the day came he died. The three preachers walked by, and they did just, they put the bag in there. The next one put the bag. The next one put the bag. About three weeks later, they were down at the coffee shop. And you say, no, preacher, they didn't have no coffee shop. Are, are you sure? <laughs> and the Catholic priest said, look, I can't go no longer. I got to confess. I took $15,000 out of that bag. 
I only put 10,000 in that casket. The Jewish priest said, well, <laughs> since you've done that and admitted it, I'll go ahead and tell you, I, I took, took $10,000 out and I put 15,000 in the casket. They all looked at the Baptist preacher and he said, I'm appalled. I cannot believe the crookedness of you as men of God. I wrote a personal check for $25,000 and put it in that casket. <laughs> Everything costs money. He, he condemned the world. If you have to choose between the world and your family, which one are you going to choose? I hope so. Amen. I hope so. But there's a lot of people choosing this world. Now, you listen to me. You cannot have a church. We cannot have a church that pleases God and pleases the world at the same time. It's not going to happen. You can decide if you want to go to a church that pleases the world. There are many of them all around. I hear them all the time. I, when I'm driving, I look at different things. Come to the rock. We were in Colorado here a couple weeks ago. Come to the Alpine. I, did, I was looking for the verse that said, come out among you and come to the Alpine. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Come to the beach. Come to the element. Come to the element. Come to this. Come to, come to the motion. Come to the purpose. What happened to come to church? The church is the called out body of Christ. You cannot please God and please this world at the same time. Jesus was explicit about that. He said, well, we've got programs and we, we, these old pulpits. People come in here and say, man, what a pulpit. I say, yeah, a pulpit's made to preach the word of God. What do y'all have? Well, we have a little glass lectern. <laughs> Well, that little glass lectern's made to teach with. This is made to preach with. <laughs> Amen? We ain't moving it. Noah said, I'm going to condemn the world because I want to save my family. And he preached that. Noah, what are you doing? You're preaching the Bible? You're fearing God? You're preparing an ark? You're condemning the world. Look at the last one, I'm through. And became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Heir of the righteousness. He made Christ to be the propitiation for our sin. I'm living now. I'm laying up treasures in heaven right now. I've decided to follow Jesus. Have you decided that? You see... You can't save your family for now in the world and eternity at the same time. Your kids, I, I don't even know them, but I know what they do. They go in the closet and they put their feet in their mama's shoes. And they put their feet in their daddy's shoes. And those shoes are either taking them to a world of everything happening today or they're taking them to a place of eternal life with Jesus Christ as Lord. Today, to a lot of people, is more important than anything else. 
You only go around once in life. Go with it with all your gusto. Hey, if you're lost today, I'd, I'd advise you to do that. Because where you're going, you're not going to have no gusto. You need to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Noah, what are you doing? You've spent 120 years up there. What are you doing? Are you building a boat? No. I'm saving my family. There's a story of an old rancher. His name was George Hatch. It's a true story. Uh, he had all his hay cut. He had 12 kids, seven boys and five girls. And on a Sunday morning, they were all getting in the car. They didn't have a van. They, they, just, they just had a car. And all 14 of them rode in the car. They were going to church. And while they were getting in the car, a neighbor come up in a, in a truck and dust and everything flying. He said, George, I've come to help you. I'm going to help you get your hay in the barn because it, it's coming a storm. They predicted it. The clouds are already gathering. I want to get your hay in the barn and help you. And George looked at him and he said, you know, I, I, I know you're not going to understand this. I do. He said, there's no word to express how thankful I am to have neighbors like you that'd be willing to do that. But he said, this is Sunday morning. And we don't put hay in the barn on Sunday morning. We go to church. He said, by the time that pastor gets through, all this is gonna be ruined. He said, well, we go to church on Sunday morning. And thank you very much. They left, they went to church. In the middle of church, it came a a deluge. I mean water everywhere. They came home after church and George was walking around in the field looking at the mess that was there. He'd lost his whole crop of hay looking at the mess. Here come the neighbor driving up. He got out of his truck and said, George, I told you. Man, there were other neighbors willing to come over and help you. I told you that you were going to lose your entire crop of hay. George looked at him and said, that's right. I've lost my entire crop of hay. But he said, I believe I've saved my family. I believe I've saved my family. I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it one more time. <laughs> Leslie will know about it. And my wife's heard it and the kids have heard it. I was playing Little League Baseball. <clears throat> Corrigan was playing against Groveton. There's only one people we hated worse than Groveton, and that was Dieball. <laughs> I was playing third base. It was the third week of August. Our church had revival on the third week of August, whether we needed it or not. Every third week of August was revival. And my mama said, you can go. Now, this was in the days when, when I, I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now. This was in the days when men wanted kids to have something to do in the summer and not try to get through before the summer so the adults could have all summer off. We were in August and we were playing. And my mama said, you can go play the game, but when it's time to go to church, we're going to church. And I'm thinking, oh, I'll show you. 
It came time, and she called me, and I acted like I didn't hear. I jumped on out there on third base. They were throwing the ball to me. I was hurling it back over to first base. They were taking turns and everything. And all of a sudden, I felt a hand grab me. <laughs> My mama walked on that field and took me off by the hand. And I want to tell you, I'm I, I not going to lie to you. I called her every evil name that a nine-year-old could know. I just mean, it, I mean, it was bad. But you know what? No time in my entire life until my mother died, I never doubted the most important thing to her was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Never had a doubt. Never. No, what are you doing? You building a box? You building a boat? No. I'm saving my family. Father, I pray this morning there'd be some dads and moms in this group that would say, my family is more important than anything this world's got to offer. And whether nobody else does it or not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to save my family. Maybe there need to be some parents bring their kids down to this altar and say, look, we haven't been the best example, but we're going to do everything we can to point you to Jesus because we love you. And we know that there's only one alternative to a destructive place called hell, and that's being saved by the blood of Jesus. Oh, the wonderful cross, the wonderful cross to have everlasting life. I pray this morning, those that may need a church home, those that may need to be saved today, Lord, those that just need to come and recommit their life, Lord, would you use this service? Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.